Good morning. If you must know, I too get nervous every time I step up here. When I used to travel and sing, we would sing almost every night. And every time before I step out, I always get butterflies, a little nervous. And then you start singing and get going and get lathered up, and then it all kind of goes away. All these songs about heaven makes me want to preach about heaven. I'll have to do that one of these days. That is not my sermon this morning, but, uh, but it will be soon, I think. We don't talk a lot about heaven anymore. Used to sing a lot about it, used to hear a lot of sermons about it. Maybe not so much anymore. I'm going to do, I'm going to do one soon. Um, that, got me, that got me excited. As has been uh, mentioned, um, we took our daughter uh, to Harding this weekend. We drove up on uh, Thursday morning, drove two cars, both of them packed to the gills. Um, we took stuff that I didn't even know we owned and um, got it all in this uh, dorm room. I got out of the shower and I went to shave and I made a move towards the, uh, the mirror and my back caught and I was like, oh no, 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 this is not the weekend for back trouble, but um, goose it was. And so there I found myself, we, we, we drove and um, it took us about eight and a half hours to get there by the time we made a few stops, gassed up. And when I got out, man, I was stove up like you would not believe. And I was just praying. I got a $20 bill in my pocket. If somebody would come and help me unload this stuff, I would, I would give you a $20 bill, you know. That's what I was thinking in my mind. And we got there, and we, we started to unload Haley's car, and I was carrying, you know, one of the lighter bins, and I was kind of waddling like a, a penguin or a duck, trying my best not to hurt my back. And then I saw one of the cars pull away from the front of the dorm that we were moving her into, so I waddled out as fast as I could to the car, and I, and I pulled the car up there so I wouldn't have to walk any further than I had to. And then as soon as I, I, I got in front of Sears' dorm, I popped the trunk. About seven or eight college kids came walking toward me. They all had these yellow Harding shirts on, and they said, Can we help you? <laughs> I, there, there is a God who answers prayer. I know it. Because I was like, Yes, you can. So I just started unloading stuff, and I didn't have to carry one more thing up the stairs. They carried it all, and I was so, so grateful, uh, feeling, feeling much better. We spent the night, uh, went back and uh, got some coffee and saw Haley before we left, and then we drove all the way back through Kentucky, and as you might imagine, for the first a little bit we drove, it was, it was sort of quiet, uh, we were just kind of reflecting and after about a nine hour trip back home after stopping and eating and gassing up, finally we pulled into our driveway and I thought to myself, man, it's good, it's good to be home, it's good to be home, but yet Part of my home is somewhere in Searcy, Arkansas this morning. I think she's worshiping at the Cloverdale Church of Christ this morning. At least that's what she told us last night. I hope that's where she is. When I say the word home, 
What does that bring to mind? The word home conjures up a lot of thoughts, doesn't it? Some of them wonderful. Some of you may not have had the best of homes growing up. And for that, I'm sorry. And I, I, know, I know some of what that is like to not have a great home growing up. But that word home means a lot of things uh, to a lot of us. I came across something actually years ago um, that I, I wanted to share a few of these with you. For those of you who uh, still have small children that you are raising up in your homes, for those of you who maybe have some small grandkids that come to visit from time to time or maybe live with you uh, from time to time, uh, for those of you who have ever been a small child at any point in your life, I want to share this with you. Uh, these are some of the household codes uh, that Moses would have included in the law had he been more involved in raising his own children, okay? This is not scripture, okay? <laughs> this is some man's uh, writing, okay? So um, this is um, some things that Moses might have come up with had he been more involved in raising his own children. These are the laws of forbidden places. Of the beasts of the field, and of the fishes of the sea, and of all the foods that are acceptable in my sight, you may eat, but not in the living room. Of the hooved animals, broiled or ground into burgers, you may eat, but not in the living room. Of the cloven-hoofed animal, plain or with cheese, you may eat, but not in the living room. Of the cereal grains, of the corn and of the wheat and of the oats and of all the cereals that are of bright color and unknown provenance, you may eat, but definitely not in the living room. Of the juices and other beverage, yes, even of those in sippy cups, you may drink. But not in the living room, neither may you carry such therein. Indeed, when you reach the place where the living room carpet begins, of any food or beverage there you may not eat, neither may you drink. But if you are sick and you're lying down and watching something, then you may eat in the living room. Those were the laws of forbidden places. These are laws when you're at the table, okay? If you are seated in your high chair or in a chair such as a greater person might use, keep your legs and feet below you as they were. Neither raise up your knees nor place your feet upon the table, for that is an abomination to me. Yes, even when you have an interesting bandage to show, your feet upon the table are an abomination and worthy of rebuke. Drink your milk as it is given you. Neither use on it any utensils, nor fork, nor knife, nor spoon, for that is not what they are for. If you will dip your blocks in the milk and lick it off, you will be sent away. And when you have drunk, let the empty cup then remain upon the table, and do not bite it upon its edge and by your teeth. Hold it to your face in order to make noises sounding like a duck. 
For if you do this, you will be sent away. I like this one. And though the pieces of broccoli are very much like small trees, do not stand them upright to make a forest. Because we do not do that. That is why. Sit just as I have told you. And do not lean to one side or the other. Nor slide down until you are nearly slid away. Heed me. For if you sit like that, your hair will go into the syrup. And now behold, even as I have said it, it has come to pass. <laughs> well, those are just some of the laws that Moses may have included had he been more involved in raising his children. The word home, when you think of home, that one word brings a lot of pictures to mind. I guess when I first think of home, I think of a little bitty house on 618 McCarley Avenue, Madison, Tennessee, 37115. Our phone number was 615-865-4635. I don't know why I remember these things, but they're just in my brain. It's part of who I am. The little house was maybe 1,300 square feet uh, being generous, we had three tiny bedrooms, one bathroom. I had two sisters, a mom. I didn't know we had a bathroom until I was about 15. <laughs> but we did. In 1976, that was the bicentennial of our nation, 200 years, we got some new carpet in our house on 618 McCarley Avenue. We were allowed, each one of us, to pick the color of carpet that we wanted in our, in our bedrooms. My sister had a variegated purple shag carpet in her bedroom because that was Donny Osmond's favorite color. All the, all the Osmond brothers used to wear a scarf with their favorite color, and purple was Donnie's favorite color. So that's why my sister had purple carpet. My favorite color was red. I had red shag carpet in my bedroom. And since it was 1976, uh, my mother, she was a wonderful um, wallpaperer. And so I had red, white, and blue striped wallpaper all around my bedroom, red shag carpet. And we had a, a, a carpet rake. Do you guys remember those? How many of you know what shag carpet is? Let me see some hands. Oh, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, we had a, we had a rake where you would you'd start in the, you know, the, the far part of the, of the house, uh, of the room, and then you would rake your carpet all the way out to the, to the edge of your room, and then you'd prop the rake up there. It was so beautiful. And you could tell if somebody had been in there because those footprints would show up on that shag carpet. Y'all know what shag carpet is, right? All right. That's what I think about when I think about the first home that I remember growing up in. For four years, uh, when I was traveling and singing, home was a big red tour bus. I mean, literally um, lived on a Silver Eagle tour bus for four years. We would stay in people's homes um, after every concert, but, but we spent so many hours, and we each had a bunk that we would sleep in, and, and that literally was my home for four years when I was traveling and, and singing. 
home. Having a house doesn't make a home. But having a family does make a home. And that's why home is not where your house is, but home is where your heart is. And that's why part of my home is in Searcy, Arkansas this morning. Some of you may know the name Dr. David Livingston. Uh, He had um, become something of a mythical figure, uh, if you will. He he lived and he died uh, as a missionary in Africa. He had uh, become a martyr. He was an explorer. He was an anti-slave crusader, um, something of a scientific explorer as well. Um, but he died there in Africa, uh, 1873. He had malaria, dysentery. Um, some said that um, some things that I've read that maybe he had some internal bleeding caused uh, from some things that I won't go into uh, that may have also uh, led to his uh, early demise. But uh, he passed away, and word was uh, sent to send his body back to England where he was uh, to be buried. And his body was prepared for transport so that they could uh, take him back. But during the night, in preparing his body, for transport, where they were able to kind of crudely embalm his body uh, for the long trip back. Um, The natives cut out his heart, and they buried his heart underneath um, what they call a baobab tree. James, you remember the the baobab tree? Um, Maybe more like a Mapundu tree down in the area of what is known as Zambia today. Today his body is buried in Westminster Abbey in England, but his heart is buried under a tree in Africa because that's where the natives said his heart belonged because Africa had become his home. That was where his heart belonged because they said that's where his home was. Home is a very beautiful, beautiful word. That's why the words, it's good to be home, sound so sweet. That's why they write songs like, be it ever so humble, there's no place like home. If you will, turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I want us to look at a a text here just for a few moments. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We'll begin in the very first verse. The word of the Lord. Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. This, this earthly tent, what's he talking about? He's talking about this body. This physical body. If this body, this tent that we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, 
longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. Because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, this body, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He keeps talking about this this nakedness, that we, we don't long to be that, because there's something that happens to all of us if we live long enough and and, and it comes to each and every one of us because we are children of Adam. This body is dying. This body is going to die. And when that body dies, there is that moment that Paul likens this to being unclothed, to being naked. And he says, we, we groan because we don't want to be naked, but we want to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. Verse 5. Now, it is God who has made us for this very purpose and has given us the Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Listen, brothers, sisters, if you are bought with the blood of Jesus, if you have been buried with Christ in baptism, if the old man, the old woman has died and you have been raised up, The Bible says you have been given the Holy Spirit of God. Why have you been given that? Well, (laughs) there, there are a number of reasons. But what Paul says just now that we got through reading, that this Holy Spirit is given to you as a deposit. And what does that deposit do? It guarantees that there is something else coming. There's something else that's better than this. There's something that we're waiting for, that we're longing for, that I'm going to preach about soon. And that Holy Spirit has given us as a deposit. And it's a guarantee of what is to happen. Therefore, verse 6, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body... We are away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. And we are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please Him, whether we are at home in the body or whether we are away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due Him, For the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. I guess my question this morning is, do we we really groan to be in our heavenly dwelling? Are, are, Are we really aching, longing? For the day when we're no longer in, the, in this tent, this body, and that we're in that heavenly dwelling. Instead of singing, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through, a lot of us are singing, I'd like to stay longer than man's allotted days. 
Isn't that what we're singing? We, 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 we kind of like it here, don't we? We've gotten so accustomed to the here and the now. Instead of, instead of groaning and longing to be away from this body and to be with God, oftentimes I think we're saying, you know, I like it here. I'd, I'd kind of like to stay here longer than even man's allotted days. Why? Because I want to watch the fleeting changes of life's uneven ways. I wonder, I wonder how often we groan really and long to be with the Lord. You know, what we can see and what we can taste and what we can touch now is far less real than what we cannot see, what we cannot taste, what we cannot touch. The Bible is very, very clear about that. Let's look back at our reading this morning. Just back a page, maybe two, in your Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 16. Kevin read this to us just a moment ago. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. That's what, he said. That's what he's been talking about. This, this tent, this body, this, this outward tent is wasting away. You, you know that. You feel it, don't you? When I got out of the car in Searcy, Arkansas, oh my goodness, I was stove up. If the Lord had come right there in that moment, it would not have been too soon. And listen, folks, there are, there are so many days that I pray, Lord, come quickly. You know, the early Christians used to greet one another with a greeting, Maranatha. And literally, it, it, it meant, come quickly. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. I pray that prayer so often. And, and, and sometimes when I pray it, the only, reason that I, the only reason that I don't want Jesus to come back quickly is because there are, there are people that I love that are not in Christ. Do you have someone that you love that's not in Christ? That you know is far from God? That is the only reason... I don't want Jesus to come back right now. It's because I want maybe there to be a little more time for them to repent, to turn to God. Otherwise, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm excited. There are times literally when I groan to be with God because I know it's so much better. Outwardly, we're wasting away, yet inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. Look at this. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. The man who said our light and momentary troubles, shipwrecked, beaten, stoned, left for dead, imprisoned time and time again, hungry, naked, cold, that's the same guy who wrote our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us a glory that far outweighs them all. So, we fix our eyes 
not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. If you can see it, touch it, taste it now, folks, it is far less real, far less real than that which you cannot see or taste or touch because that is eternal. This, is, this stuff is just temporary. So, as long as we are in the tent of this body, the Bible says we have a lot of work to do. There is still work to be done. Let me close this morning with a, a little story. It's found in a book by Bruce Wilkinson. Uh, the book, the title is A Life God Rewards. A Life God Rewards. It's a, it's a neat little book. Let me share this story with you. A missionary couple from, from Great Britain had spent a lifetime serving God in some far corner of the earth. The century turned. This is the end of the 19, uh, 1800s turning into 1900s. That century the century turned. After 40 years, they wrote to their supporters that they were coming home, and they sailed for England. When they laid eyes on their country's coastline for the first time in decades, the man said to his wife, I wonder if anyone will be here to welcome us home. As the ship sailed into Plymouth Harbor, the elderly couple stood at the upper deck of the ocean liner, holding hands. And then, to their surprise and pleasure, they saw that throngs of people crowded the deck, crowded the dock, pointing in their direction and cheering. A band even played. Men held up a banner that read, Welcome home. We're proud of you. The husband was so deeply moved. Isn't this wonderful? His wife laughed happily, and they decided that it was finally time to go below to collect their luggage. But as they emerged onto the gangplank, their hearts pounding with anticipation, they were taken aback. The crowd had already started to disperse. And soon it became clear what had happened. The huge welcome was not for them, but for a politician returning from some foreign success. In fact, no one was there to greet them at all. The husband could not hide his disappointment. After a lifetime of service, this isn't much of a welcome home, he said. His wife took his arm. Come along, sweetheart, she said softly. This is just England.
we are not home yet. We are not home yet. And folks, my message this morning is very simple. We're not home yet. And because of that, there is so much work to do. There is so much work to do. I want to be a a church that is known for not just loving not just loving people after they come into our doors but for going out and getting people and loving them and bringing them through these doors Jesus said in Luke 19:10 for the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost let me share the end of chapter 5 with you 2 Corinthians, beginning in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, and the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us, he gave us, the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. You see, Jesus came and he lived and he died. He paid the price. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. And so that now that we have been reconciled to God, God has given us, those of us who have been reconciled, the ministry of reconciliation. To go and to reconcile others to him. He says it's as if we are God's ambassadors because that is exactly what we are. God is making his appeal through us. You know, God could reach the whole world any way he chose. He could do it much more quickly and a lot more effectively. But for some reason, God has chosen you. He's chosen me to partner with him, to be an ambassador. And if people are going to hear It's going to be because we've taken that message seriously. Because we have become ambassadors for Christ. My message is very simple this morning. We're not home yet. Oh, that we could be clothed with our heavenly dwelling very soon. But until the Lord comes, as long as he tarries, we must be about his business. Seeking, saving the lost, loving the unlovable, having compassion upon those whom he would have compassion on, sharing our faith, planting seeds of the gospel so that many more can enjoy that which we enjoy. We're not home yet. A lot of work left to be done. 